Welcome to the Revival Podcast and the very first show. This one's slightly different to the others that we will do. In that, in all the other shows, I have guests joining me uh, for a conversation, questions, digging into their expertise, digging into their prophetic, to try and glean together what God is saying, what God is doing, and how we respond to Him uh, with our lives in practice, ministry or church or our private lives, families. I think there's a response needed to partner with the biggest story of God unfolding on the earth. But today, on my own, I want to set the scene. I want to invite you into my world a little bit, what I've been going through since I've been a little boy, and why this fascination with the subject of revival. I remember as a, as a boy in my seven, eight, nine-year-olds kind of stage, if there's such a phrase, uh, coming across books on my dad's bookshelf about revival. And one of the first ones that I picked up and read was a book called Like a Mighty Rushing Wind, and it was by Maltari. And it was a, a recording of the stories and miracles of the revival that took place in Indonesia. And as I read that book, something kind of kicked off in me, awakened in me, seeing that God could heal, God provided supernatural protection, multiplication of food, the literal manifestation of fire over some villages and whole villages coming to Christ. As an eight-year-old, it was startling. And I, I was like, God's alive. I knew he was alive. He's moving today. It's not just what was in the book of Acts. It's happening on the earth. And then I remember coming across books on Smith Wigglesworth, the Apostle of Faith, as it was called, uh, the, the Welsh revivalist, Evan Roberts, uh, George Muller. So some of these were revivalists in that they were living in personal revival. And wherever they showed up, spectacular things happened by the power of God. Or like a George Muller, his whole life was a spectacular movement of the Spirit of God, trusting in him, a life of prayer. So as I was exposed to these books and reading my own Bible, even as a child and as a teenager, I had this hunger to learn about how God had moved even in history. And through the years, have read books on John Wesley, his journals, William Booth, uh, the missionary movement from the UK to other shores that has taken place. And, and there's been a growing conviction in my own heart that these aren't just stories in the past, but they are echoes of what God is about to do in our day. And most of us who are alive, who'll be watching and listening to this, uh, have probably not experienced a revival. We may have experienced presence and even glory in a meeting, but that sense of societal transformation because of the weightiness of God's glory that led to conversions and life change, that then leads to society reforming like that happened in the Welsh Revival, like what happened through John Wesley and Methodism in the 1700s, and you know, between 50 and 60 years of a move of God throughout the United Kingdom, over into the States. Uh, my real heart desire, and I believe it's going to happen, is that the Lord is about to move that way again. It's not a dream. It's not wishful thinking. Throughout history, he has stirred towns, cities, regions, even nations 
great awakenings that have shook the islands, the Hebrides, the eastern board of, of the states with some of the great awakenings and the lunchtime revival in the 1850s that happened there with a prayer meeting that just started at lunchtime. Uh, and, and before long, in a few months, there was over a million people that had committed their lives to Christ. And I'm like, God, you've visited places and spaces. Would you do it again in our day? And so the purpose of this podcast is to awaken desire, to look at what God has done, and then to look forward to what we believe he will do and how we can reorder our lives so that they are in partnership, or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3, so that we are co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. Let me uh, give you a few examples in history and then a few Bible references that help us to understand what God's up to. One of my heroes in history, and you may not connect this to revival, but I do, is James Hudson Taylor, uh, more commonly known as Hudson Taylor, who uh, set sail to China as a 22-year-old. And uh, this five, six-month journey on a boat, nobody in China knew he was coming. Uh, He had a letter of introduction in his pocket, and that was it, and 10 pounds. And yet he landed on the shore uh, shores of China, I think in the 1850s, around about 1852, 1853, nobody knowing his name, a young man, inexperienced, with no theological degree behind him. 51 years later, uh, when he passed away, there were more than 129,000 Chinese people that had given their lives to Christ. 205 mission stations in China. And more than 800 missionaries had come to work alongside him during that 51 years and were on the field by the time of the end of his life. That has to be a move of God, impacting a whole nation, this this huge nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, He personally baptized 35,000 Chinese uh, into the kingdom of God. Isn't that phenomenal? That isn't just good strategy, good mission work, uh, or, or, or kind of a, he had a good plan and he was an extraordinary individual. He was extraordinary as an individual. There was a great leadership involved, but actually it was more than that. It was a move of God's spirit and sovereignly moving and yet finding a human vessel that would partner with him. And God moved in such a spectacular way. I mean, the journey was filled with pain and trial and there was death of family members and sacrifice. And at times it looked like nothing would work. And yet God broke through on his behalf and ultimately on God's own behalf for the kingdom of God. I believe God wants to do something. It won't look the same, but something similar again. But it won't be geographically based. It's going to happen worldwide at the same time. Uh, I've alluded to Methodism. Uh, John Wesley was alive from 1703 right to 1791. And nearly five to six decades, 50-something years of crisscrossing around the UK on a horse. Uh, There's no speed of travel, no speed of communication. And, and, and starting these societies that were called Methodism. And really coming from the fact that he lived in a methodical way with routines and systems and rhythms forming small societies, seeing some of the poorest of the poor converted to Christ. 
And again, not just a great strategist. He would go into some places and people were picking up stones to stone him. They would throw uh, rotten food at him in the marketplaces and, and he would hold his ground. Some places he was pushed out of, some places he saw the turning of the whole community towards Christ. But at the end of his death, there were 70 something thousand, 77,000 Methodists in the UK. That's a crazy achievement. And I know when I travel the UK through country lanes, into cities, I find Methodist churches everywhere. One man on a horse. It wasn't just his great leadership. It was actually a sovereign move of God. And I know it was more than one man. There were many in his team. His brother Charles was a key player. There were many that were raised up as leaders and released. And uh, there was a great move of God that took place in the UK. And not only in the UK, but during his lifetime, 40,000 gave their lives to Christ in Methodism uh, as Methodists in the United States. And year on year after his death, the, the Methodist movement grew and grew. Uh, under the leaders that he had raised and released. Could God do it again? Could he come to our broken nation and nations? Could he move in revival power? Could we know those who are far from God come to know God? For me, revival isn't just nightly meetings in the presence of God. Uh, It may begin there, a transformation of our own lives, an encounter with the holiness of God, but it has to end up, true revival has to finish up in the place of societal transformation with, I believe, thousands coming to Christ. That's what's coming. That's what's been prophesied. Uh, I I could give you one more example of William Booth, the Salvation Army. Uh, This uh, uneducated, uh, at 17 years old, he was walking, working in a secondhand shop. They called them pawn shops. People would come in because they were poor. They would sell a watch or something into the shop to get money, to, uh, hoping one day they'd be able to buy it back. Uh, he, he, wasn't, he didn't show a lot of promise. He was actually raised in Methodism. Methodism had an impact on him. He became very successful as a preacher, but kicked out of Methodism because his wife was preaching with him. And it's like all the odds are stacked against many of these people. And yet the Lord looks for willing vessels. And eventually he starts this thing called the Salvation Army. It is so provocative. Dressing Christians in uniform, having a flag of blood and fire, uh, parading the streets with music, uh, using language that was military language in their day and even in our day, taking popular songs that were sung in taverns and pubs and, and putting Christian words to them so that the poor would know the music already. And yet at the end of his life, uh, they, had, they were already in 55 nations. I, I think they say to his funeral, 250,000 people showed up including the Queen of England, Queen Victoria showed up. Uh, I think it's an amazing thing when God moves sovereignly and he touches a, a life that would say yes to him, it deeply has an impact on the society and the community where they are. The Salvation Army is most famously known for their street preaching and for their philanthropy. They did so much to help the poorest of the poor. Um, rooting out uh, the, the trade of young girls in popular homes, the slave trade that was unseen, 
with great fight against some of the wealthy people of the day coming against him, reforming the way that matches were made and children working in those factories that were getting phosphorus diseases. Uh, they, they took the needs of the day and they brought the gospel into them, met the needs of people, and it led to societies and even nations being transformed by the power of God. Clever leadership, great strategy. I, I think not. Uh, Holy Spirit and the power of God. In the church today, leadership has become something that is, I, I believe, like an idol. We need leaders and uh, we need leadership principles. They can be extremely helpful. I'd rather be trained as a leader than not have leadership training, but I'd rather have the Spirit of God moving and leading us than all of the best leadership strategies. You can take an uneducated person who understands nothing about leadership and their life is a veil to the Holy Spirit and they can transform and turn a community around in the power of God. And you can have somebody educated with great money behind them and great websites and communication skills. But if they don't have the spirit of God and the power of God, they will not be able to bring eternal change to lives and to the society we're in. So I believe God wants to do that again. And let me give you a biblical reason. Those are some of my, my early childhood, some of those who have inspired me. And I could talk about Evan Roberts and Azusa Street, and I could talk about the Great Awakenings in America we could talk about what God did in other parts uh, of the world as well. The Hebrides uh, was a phenomenal move of God there. And they've had revival after revival after revival over the centuries. Uh, and yet, uh, let's just go to Scripture right now and look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, I like Habakkuk 3 and verse 2. It says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. I believe that scripture gives us a legal right to say, God, we've heard about what you've done before. We've seen it in picture form, maybe. You know, I've watched some of the transformations videos, and one of my guests on this is going to be the producer and the researcher of the transformation videos. I'm delighted to have George Otis Jr. Uh, joining me on one of these podcasts. Uh, but actually, I've seen it, I've heard it, I've read about it, but would you do it again? Would you do it in our day? That's a legal prayer. It's like we can do that. We can come and give ourselves to God in renewed holiness, renewed consecration. Uh, I don't think just good church planting is going to cut it. I'm into that. I'm into disciple making and church planting. And we'll look at how that plays into the picture of revival and God big, God's big story. Um, I also like uh, Habakkuk 2.14. As a revival verse, it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk the prophet prophesying it, the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God. People are going to know him, know about him. It's going to be undeniable. Just like the water covers the seats everywhere, covers the globe, so the glory of God, the knowledge of God is going to cover the earth. That hasn't happened yet, but we pray for it and we say, Lord, would you do that? It's an indicator to me of God's desire and of God's will of what he wants to do. And probably one of my favorite Psalms, I have a lot of favorite Psalms, but this one is like an anthem. It's a cry. Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us. And make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. 
May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May God, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And then the land will yield its harvest. And God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that the ends of the earth will fear him. It's one cry. God bless us. So every nation, every tribe, every tongue will know who you are and praise you. Again, that hasn't happened yet, but we're believing it will. And I believe that these are revival crying scriptures. Isaiah 44 verse 3 says, I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring. This was actually a key verse in the Hebridean revival. uh, Prayed by a young man on his knees at the end of a meeting that had been a good meeting, but no, no coming of God's power and glory like they were hoping. And as he prayed on his knees, the power of God came into that room. Duncan Campbell tells a story about that. And then within an hour or so, uh, uh, 300 people from all the surrounding farms in the middle of the night, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, have come and gathered outside, being awakened by the Spirit to come. And many of them on the street, cold northern Scotland, Hebridean, uh, cold. I mean, it's, it's, it's on the streets, on your knees. But it was the Spirit of God that woke them up, that brought them there. And we're saying, God, would you do it again? This scripture is you promised that you would pour water on thirsty land, streams on dry ground, and that you'll pour out your spirit on our offspring and our descendants. My desire is that this would awaken something in you, that we don't just want to have a revival hobby, looking at the past and longing for what has been, but we want to realize that we are called to prepare the way for the king. That what John the Baptist did in Mark chapter 1 is now our calling again to start crying out for the king to come in a fresh way. Isaiah puts it like this, and I'll, I'll close with this for us today. He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is the generation we're living in. The Lord calling us, prepare the way, get ready, make straight the road. I would say to the church, I'd say to every believer, with all of the idolatry, and I think there's a lot of idolatry in the church, we idolize worship, we idolize worship superstars, uh, preachers, our brands of church. Uh, We've idolized um, different aspects of Christian and kingdom things, which are good things in their own right. So whether it's leadership or healing, I, I believe we need to get our eyes off all of those things and get our eyes on the king, get our eyes on Jesus. We are preparing the way for the king to come by making, preparing the way for the Lord by making straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places are plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I have a conviction that it's not going to be in one geographic place, but as the king starts to come in his presence, that in multiple cities, regions, villages, towns across the world, we are going to start to see the fires of revival burning again. Again, it's the king coming. 
and we're preparing the way for him to come. I would love to read Psalm 24. It's a revival scripture. I'll give it you as homework if you want homework. But I would just say with all of the revivalists, reformers, what God has done in history, what has happened in the last 80 years, Franklin Hall, his book in the 1940s on on atomic power with God through prayer and fasting, started a whole revolution within the kingdom of God at the time setting people praying for 21 days, 40 days. The healing move came out of it. Wesley Wigglesworth prophesied a revival coming. Uh, And then in the 50s and 60s, Paul Cain prophesied stadiums being filled in the future. Had repeated visions, I think for two decades, multiple cities around the world, sporting stadiums, uh, not filled with sporting events, but filled with big people gathering around the coming of Christ and this sense of his manifest presence in their communities. And then again in the 80s, Bill Bright calling 40 days of prayer and fasting. I mean, I looked through all of that and the promises of a billion soul harvest or a two billion soul harvest or a move of God. The conversation has become louder and it's become more frequent, but I still believe it needs people who would root themselves in a lifestyle of preparing the way for the king to come. We have a great heritage. We have an even greater future. You have a part to play in it. So do I. My desire is through these revival podcasts, we will learn some of the ways of the Lord and how we can align ourselves to what he's asking from us. So I'm hoping that uh, uh, there's an awakening in your own heart today. And that you would start to say, Lord, would you help me to see what you see and to feel what you feel? I've produced an e-course called Revival Ready. It's videos and workbook to help you in your journey towards revival and preparation for it. You can find more information about it at steveuppel.com.